Welcome to the Nash Biz Podcast, a podcast specifically for business owners in Nashville, Tennessee. Whether you're seeking the best strategies for scaling your business, networking opportunities, or just plain old entertainment, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the show. What is up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am the co-host of the Nash Piss Podcast with my business partner and other host, John Trusty. Today, we have Marshall Crawford. Marshall Crawford is the president and CEO of the Housing Fund, a private nonprofit community development financial institution. He has been the CEO since 2017. Marshall, how's it going, man? Well, it's going well. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. I really appreciate this. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So as we were talking about before, you know, I know this is your first podcast interview, so this will be interesting, but it's a raw conversation just talking about your journey, the highs, the lows. We understand that everybody has a different, unique journey through business. Uh, they all hit a certain peak of highs and then a certain valley of lows. So kind of give us a rundown of who you are, Marshall. How did you get to where you're at today? Oh, how did I get here, man? It was a long journey, to be perfectly honest, man. I'm a, I grew up um, an impoverished in impoverished communities um, back in Philadelphia. And so my mom was a single mom who tried to raise five of us doing the best that she could. And so it's always been interesting when you um, are able to get to a certain place. When you start looking back, you're like, man, um, why was I so blessed? How did I make it when I know that so many other African-American kids you know, I have a tough time making it out. I'm friends that I've had along the way, never made it out or always had difficulties growing up. So, um, you know, I, I'm blessed and, and very thankful for, um, for this journey. And I would say it probably has a lot more to do with uh, people out there praying for me um, and making sure that I did um, get this opportunity to, um, to enjoy life as I do today. But um, like I said, I grew up in Philadelphia, um, a place called Coatesville, Pennsylvania. Um, I think if you know um, Derek Morgan, who played who played for the Titans, Derek yeah. and I grew up, um, graduated from the same high school. So um, knowing Nashville population will be very familiar with Derek. Um, but it, it wasn't easy. Um, I ended up failing the seventh grade um, for a reason that I was in the streets doing what most kids do. Um, you know, involved in, in situations and, and activities that I shouldn't have been involved in and didn't do what I needed to do when I was in school. So um, ended up failing seventh grade, but we moved around a lot. I went to, um, <laughs> I went to every middle school in, in Coatesville. <laughs> um, and so it was interesting how we always got around, but Eventually, it all turned around. I ended up graduating from high school with honors and then had the opportunity to attend Penn State University. Um, And I was there for three years thinking, wow, this is great. What an opportunity for me. Here's a kid growing up the way I did, have an opportunity to go to Penn State University. But guess what, fellas? (laughs) I was there for three years and did not graduate. Um, I ended up, you know, pretty much flunking out or, or quitting school. Um, I, I didn't take care of business again. I wasn't doing what I needed to do um, while I was there, but that journey was a, 
was a very positive journey because it made me learn to appreciate education. Um, and so I don't take anything away from that opportunity being there. Still got some good friends um, that I communicate with today that went to school there. But when I dropped out, I realized I couldn't sit around and do nothing. So um, what I call my theory of change, you know, with an illustration of how and why a desire change is expected to happen if you do certain things. Well, my theory of change became the military. I went into the military. I spent five years in the army, um, two and a half years in Germany, and then another two and a half years at Fort Knox, Kentucky. Um, that military um, gave me what I needed um, to help me understand what it was going to take to be successful. Um, not only then, but today. I still use, utilize a lot of those principles today to really guide me. And so there's essentially three things that I've learned in the military. One, it gave me the discipline that I needed. Um, having to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, do certain things a certain way on a regular basis, being accountable for other people, um, other processes, um, trying to protect this entire country. You know, we had to be disciplined and it gave me the discipline that I needed. It also taught me how to be prepared. You know, when, when war isn't happening, you're preparing for war. And then when war happens, you're actually executing. So there was this always this mantra where we were always preparing for war. And um, that's essentially what it is today is making sure that every morning when I wake up that I'm preparing for the day. And so I still use that process. So being disciplined, being prepared, but there's one other ingredient that is really critical a support system. The military surrounds you. You need each other. What they say is that the man in the foxhole is your best friend and you've got to be in the foxhole. You don't know what walk of life they come from. You know, they could have hated black people when they were growing up. But when you get in that foxhole, we're all human and we all do things to, to try to, to um, protect ourselves and protect the country. And so we know that we need each other. So there was... um you know, I figured that all out, you know, get along with everybody, um, be able to interact with everybody and really engage and meet with people and really develop people who support you and that are behind you. Um, and so those three, those three areas, um, again, became my theory of change. I knew that if I did these things, then eventually something good was going to happen. And so um, after I got out of the military, I went to college. I went back to school. I went to Western Kentucky University. I didn't transfer any credits from Penn State. I, I had an opportunity to start fresh and start new. And so I treated Western Kentucky like it was that fresh start. I ended up graduating from college in two and a half years with a degree in finance. Why? Because I was disciplined, I was prepared, and I had a strong support system backing me. You know, when I was... um. I questioned when I first got there, you know, am I going to be able to do this? Is college really for me? And I had a college professor tell me that the basic justification of higher education is to enhance your social competence so you can make a more significant contribution to society. What did I tell you previously? It was about a support system. Social competence is the ability to get along with anybody interacting in any setting with anyone. And that's what I strive to do was being able to engage, communicate effectively, 
um, work with, you know, anybody um, doing anything. And so um, when I graduated from Western Kentucky, I had the opportunity to uh, move to Nashville. And that's where I started my career, uh, my banking career. I, um, Third National Bank was the financial institution that hired me. It eventually became SunTrust. I went through their bank training program. Um, you know, this is an interesting story about this. Um, there were seven of us in that training program. I was the last one to get into that program. And it bothered me so much, man, that I was the last one. And my boys always tell me, because I was interviewing at different banks, and this one bank, I was their number one choice. And I decided to go to Third National Bank. And he was like, dude, you went from a first round draft pick down to the seventh round. And I was pissed. And he'd always get on my case about it. But then he said to me on the flip side of that, so why don't you just go in there and be rookie of the year? And so that's what I did. I got into that training program and I really tried to excel wholeheartedly. Um, I was the first one in that training program to get out of the program and start my um, and start my job. I went into the mortgage banking industry. So I was the first one to get a, a full assignment. I decided in mortgage lending because um, I realized that home ownership was a critical component to success in life. And I knew that my mom never owned her home, you know, trying to raise, you know, not only her kids, but everybody else's kids and then the grandkids mm -hmm. along the way, yep. that it has to be a valuable source. And we know today that it's the primary source of wealth for a vast majority of, of um, Americans. Um, we utilize our home ownership to pass wealth down to other individuals. So I became fully engaged and committed to the banking industry. But, um, you know, you, you grow weary at times. Just think about it. I went from the military to college, graduated in two and a half years, and then to a fast-paced industry like the mortgage industry. I got a little burned out. I just have to tell you that, fellas. I did. And so I resigned after three and a half years at SunTrust, I, I just one day I up and quit and decided I was just going to do some something new. So I sold all the furniture and everything in my apartment. Um, and if it couldn't get in my car, it didn't go with me. Put it all in my car and I made, me, my, made my way to Atlanta. And um, I went to Atlanta, um, lived there, and I eventually became a bank examiner. I did some odd jobs, worked in some of the other banking positions as a loan officer, but I primarily um, worked for the Office of Thrift Supervision as a bank examiner. I was on one side, now I was examining financial institutions. Again, I went through their training program, learned a lot, um, got, to learn the in, got to learn the ins and outs of banking from a different perspective and a different side, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. Just, just imagine here I was in the Southeast region and I was a young guy who's still in, you know, just in my early thirties. And I walked into that and I told him I was an examiner. Those old white dudes would look at me like, dude, you, you can't tell me nothing walking up in here because most of the bank examiners were older white men or yep. older men. Right. So here I am a young African-American in this position, man, it, it had some, is it some of the challenges, especially going into Alabama I remember this one bank president told me I can do what I want with this bank. I, this bank belongs to me. 
And it was interesting. You ain't going to sit up here and tell me anything. So <laughs> that, was, that was an interesting um, examination, to say the least. But um, I had a good time doing that. I did that again for another three and a half years. And then the opportunity of a lifetime was presented to me. Um, I got to work for a group called NeighborWorks America. Um, it's like a nonprofit consulting firm. It's a con congressionally funded organization. And I got to work for them for 13 years working with nonprofits all around the country, man. I got to travel the entire country, um, got to see different types of organization, different places, but all of them committed to the same mission of serving communities and increasing home ownership opportunities for low to moderate income individuals across the country. Um, it was phenomenal, man. They, they had about 250 organizations they served, I served in various capacities over those 13 years and had a wonderful time. Um, and then when I got to a certain point of winning a leadership role, I had the opportunity to, um, to work on my master's and went to the University of Nebraska at Omaha, did their online program and got my master's in public administration from them. Another wonderful experience um, being able to learn a little bit more about what it's going to take to manage and run nonprofits. Um, and, then, um, and then I was offered the opportunity to go to Georgetown University and do an executive leadership program. You want to talk about, a, a, again, another life-changing experience? Um, Georgetown um, broke me down. I thought I, was, I, I thought I was all that in a bag of chips, I'll tell you. And you <laughs> You can ask anybody who knows me. I was so caught up and so full of myself um, because I was in a certain position. And but, you know, I, I tried to be the best that I knew how to be. But then I took a going through Georgetown, you had to take a 360 evaluation. And that's when your peers and your supervisors and just others get to evaluate you. Man, that 360 evaluation, made, man, I'm going to tell you, it broke me to tears. I had an executive coach, man, and she was, we were going through that. And I'm sitting there boohooing to her. It's like, you look what they're saying about me. Look how they say about me, how hard I work. And it was just, it was incredible. But, and then she just put a different spin on it. She was like, you're only picking up on the negative. She's like, look at all the positive things that people are saying to you. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was phenomenal. So going through that Georgetown program um, really transformed my way of thinking about stuff and what it really takes to be a leader and also a follower. And so um, I went through that particular program. I had one of my clients who thought I would be phenomenal and coming and leading up a, a part of his organization around housing. So he hired me away. And I worked in um, Lexington, Kentucky for 18 months for a group called Community Ventures Corporation before a recruiter found me and asked me if I'd be interested in looking at um, a, a job description for the housing fund about four years ago. Um, and initially, I wasn't even interested in it. I was perfectly fine where I was, but I had one of my mentors who talked me into at least going through the process. You know, if not this job, then eventually you're going to want to um, 
um, you're going to want to be a CEO. You're going to get to that level eventually. So I went through the process and, you know, it wasn't even like it was a job interview because I ended up knowing so many people that were either, you know, a former SunTrust employee or I worked with them in another capacity. It, it, it was just awesome. And um, I got to interview. I got to meet staff and just went through the process. And next thing you know, um, they offered me the opportunity and I took it and ran with it. And that's where we are here today. I love it. I love it. No, that, that was a great story. And I want to go back on something because you mentioned that leadership program at Georgetown and how they taught you essentially how to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big believer that you kind of have to experience leadership to be a good leader. Um, mm-hmm. You have to go through those hard times the struggles, the highs, et cetera. But, you know, what's interesting is you, you hear these people who, the, the environment they're born and are raised in, they allow that to guide them through their entire life. They say, you know, I'm a product of my environment. I'm not going to amount to anything because of, you know, I just got an unlucky hand in life. It is what it is. But for you, you took that and you allowed that to lead your life in a positive way. So, I mean, what does it mean to be a leader? For, for There's people out there that struggle to lead their own life because they think that everything's happening against them rather than for them. They, they fail to see the positive side of things or they fail to have this mindset of motivation through times of struggle. We all struggle. We, we know that we're going to struggle no matter what, but I think it's picking yourself up and leading yourself. So, I mean, here, here's a thought to this long drawn out thing I'm doing. What does it mean to be a leader? Mm-hmm. You know, I think a leader comes in in many different shapes and forms. Um, and and I, there are so many leadership books that are out there that that really say this is what leadership is but i think in order for you to clearly define leadership you got to pick and choose what it, what are your strengths mm-hmm. and how do you show up and i think when you realize when you're at your best then you're putting forth um, the right type of characteristics the right type of communication um, the right type of energy that allows you to be able to lead. So in a, in a short term, you know, a leader is someone that, you know, I love the book where they said a leader eats last. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's a great book because to be, to be perfectly honest, when it says a, eater, a leader eats last, it's not saying that you're the last one to the table or you're the last one being served. Because in the military, it teaches us, you know, half the time leaders are the one going down making sure everything is good and then coming back and saying the coast is clear. That's a leader, you know, someone who goes and clears the table or somebody who eats the food first to make sure the food is good for everybody else to eat. So that book describes so many ways, but a lot of people say, okay, you know, I'm the last one to sit down. I'm going to make sure everybody else is at the table. Well, if that is what the, um, the situation presents itself, so a leader is somebody who identifies, assess the situation, and then makes the determination on what is the right way for me to show up? What is the right way for me to appear? I tell my, my entire staff, Marshall Crawford is not the housing fund. All of us, all 11 of us represent the housing fund. So yep. when you're in a community and wherever you are at that particular time, see yourself as the CEO of the housing fund or representation of the housing fund. So I think leadership is really at a particular time, how you show up. 
and then you assess the situation and then you provide that opportunity to act accordingly. Um, and so that's what I try to do. I tried um, for me and my leadership, it's really, again, about those three disciplines uh, or that I described earlier. How disciplined am I when I'm in whatever environment that I'm in? How prepared am I when I go in that environment? And then what's, how can I be a support system for everybody else that is in that environment as well? And that's really how I try to lead um, the organization as a whole and how I try to lead my life in particular. Yeah. And, and, and here's a tougher follow-up question. I think, you know, as business leaders, CEOs, executives, founders, we don't know what we don't know. If you yeah. haven't been through a specific situation, you don't know how to handle it. So, I mean, let's talk about those times where you have been in a situation where you're called on to lead, but you don't exactly know how. You don't mm-hmm. know what to do next. You don't know who to call on. You don't know the next move to make. That's all going to happen to us at one point or another. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have some sort of framework or mindset that you can tap into of saying, okay, I don't know what I'm doing right now, but I'm going to figure it out and lead the best way I know how. how. How do you react to situations like that? You know what, man? Um, sometimes it's good to be quiet. You know, and what I mean is, you know, because your mind can run at 100 miles an hour. And I'm going to give you a great example of this, man. Um, uh, you probably, if you've done the research, you know that Amazon gave us. million at the end of last year. And so when I got the call from them, um, they were asking me, they they, they were like, Marshall, we want to be a part or provide some type of solution for the affordable housing situation Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with. But we don't know how to go about this. You're the expert is. And so can you help us? And it was almost like being put on the spot. And I didn't know really what to say. I knew that here I am thrown into this. I've, I've served on three affordable housing task force, um, but here was a real opportunity for a corporate partner that was entering the marketplace that we know everybody's been talking about. And I really didn't know what to say at that particular moment. I didn't know what to do at that particular moment. So I told them, give me, give me, give me some time. And they was like, mm-hmm. you know, can, can how about we talk again on Monday? That was Friday. He's like, can we talk again on Monday um, about this and everything? And so, um, uh, man, I just had to be quiet for a moment. I had to really be quiet and allow my thoughts and allow my spirit and the energy to take hold of itself. And I went to sleep. I woke up. Um, the, I woke up about 3.14 in the morning. And I remember that in particular because I looked at my at my phone and I text my CFO telling him, I got it. I got it. I started writing down all these notes. I started jotting down all these notes about what was in the mind and everything. This is what we need. This is how we can go about this. This is, this is where we can really serve and make a difference. And um, I got back on the call with Amazon and I shared exactly what we need to do with the 34% increase in property taxes. How do we help offset those property taxes for individuals that are going to be hit with this enormous? And um, the next morning, and they were like, we love it. Can you have a proposal together? Man, I got into the office. I'm flip charting. I love flip charts. So I'm writing everything, putting it up on the wall. My staff comes in the next morning, my leadership team, and we just sit down. We just brainstorm. We just gone through all of my notes that are up on the wall like that. And they're saying, but what about this? How do we go about this? How do we do this? And we just put it all together. 
we put a report together. We sent over to Amazon. They was like, this is awesome. This is so awesome. I thought maybe they would give us about $100,000. Man, they were like, we want to give you $2 million to get ahead and to do this. I had no idea what it was, what I did. I just got silent. I asked for a moment to just sit down and allow my mind to go silent because I didn't know what to say. And most of the time people were expecting me to, you know, be, I owed don't get it wrong. I can spit something out in a heartbeat. I can go. I can, I mean, I can, I can just throw it out there. But this was one time that I really didn't know what the answer was or how to lead it or how to structure or what to do for it. So I just actually just got silent and allowed the thoughts to just, to, to, to just populate. You know, I'm a God fearing man. So the Lord was, he was just like, Hey, let me help you with this. And I actually just um, humbled myself and allowed him to do so. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely believe there's power in saying, I don't know. And I think that that's a, that's a lost forgotten principle where people try to come up with an answer, right? They pull it out of their butt and say, Hey, here's the answer, whether it's right or wrong, because they want to be quick to knowing something, but there is power in saying, I don't know. Let me think about this. And obviously it paid off for you because mm-hmm. of the deal you got from Amazon. So no, I, I definitely believe that being a leader you know, there, there's going to be situations where you don't know what to do. Hard decisions that you you know you have to make that you don't want to make. Um, mm-hmm. Decisions you never made before. But I, I think it's part of growing as a person is you're only going to grow in places of discomfort. And you're going to be uncomfortable in places where you've never been before. You're talking to a company like Amazon, Amazon's obviously a massive company. That could probably, that's probably scary. You're thinking, okay, I, this is a huge company. They want something to do with me and my company, but I, I don't even know <laughs> how to handle this. So I, I truly believe that the, the only way to grow as a person, leader, you know, even like as a husband, as a father, brother, sister, son, whatever, you got to be uncomfortable. You have to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So going back, right? So you're, you're the CEO of the housing fund. What's next? What, what are those next big, big initiatives that you guys are undertaking that is exciting to you? You know, what are your goals with all of this? Where do you want to be in five years? Let, let's kind of talk about the future of the housing fund. Yeah, you know, for me, it's, um, it's continuing to stay true to our mission. Um, our mission statement says that we provide resources and creative leadership. So we get resources that we have to provide to the community or provide to those who want to utilize them. And then the creative leadership side, it means that we need to be in the community, being a part of it. So with those two aspects, the rest of our mission statement becomes even more clearer to us Mm -hmm. um, to provide resources and creative leaderships to help individuals and communities create and maintain affordable and healthy places in which low to moderate income people live. Just think about that. In order for us to do this, our creative leadership has to put us in a, in a, in a place where we can go out and get those resources to be able to give them to those individuals in those communities. That's the only way that, um, that I believe for us to be around another 25 years, by the way, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. So to be around for 25 years, somebody had to have a vision and then they had to execute that vision. And it's our job to continue that vision or even make that vision 
even more um, relevant to the community. So where I see us going is identifying even more resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Amazon opportunity was, um, was exceptional. Um, that's not the most money that the housing fund has ever raised. I mean, the housing fund was a part of a consortium for $30 million um, neighborhood stabilization program when the flood hit back in 2010. So we've always been in a position to generate resources that we can provide to individuals and communities. So my job is now to continue that same in that same direction, continue to find those resources. Um, Amazon you know, providing that was just a, was a start, um, but which I don't know it, from the research, but just recently um, Pinnacle Bank committed $10 million mm-hmm. to us to do um, our shared equity program. And that right there speaks to increasing home ownership for low to moderate income individuals, but it's also about preserving the affordable housing stock that exists as well. What's happening out there, as you know, individuals are buying up homes left and right. And most of the time they're buying them um, without you know, appraised values. They don't care what the appraisal is and they're still buying these homes. But we know that there are homes that low to moderate income individuals are going to need to purchase if they're going to be able to achieve home ownership. Again, wealth creation. So our focus now has to be getting those resources that allow us to do that. Pinnacle has is the first organization to come to the table. I'm out there, the creative leadership side, talking to other financial institutions about how they can play a role in this. And being able to grow this, I would love to be able to grow the shared equity um, level of commitment to about $50 million. That is huge and it's a game changer. Again, Mm -hmm. now we're still able to address the issue of home ownership for so many low to moderate income individuals. The conversation in Nashville is consistently around affordable housing. And all of that has to do with what everybody thinks of is apartments. That's what they're talking about, apartments, but affordable, that's just one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is home ownership. So to speak to it, it's really to put a lot of our energy and generate the resources that we need to help grow home ownership even more so, not just in Nashville, but the entire state of Tennessee, making these resources available across the entire state. So playing in that space. In addition to that, in the next five years, we got to grow our footprint. You know, we're from the down payment assistance side of things and creating home ownership opportunity. We're doing that well. We're hitting every, all four corners of the state, but we also know that we can also give capital to developers across the entire state as well. I'm talking about Johnson City and mm-hmm. um, East Tennessee, the same way that we're doing it in Middle Tennessee that we can provide that capital to developers in West. We can provide it also, you know, the Chattanooga areas, the, and Clarksville, we're serving a lot of individuals. So I wanna be able to also get additional resources that we can provide and fill those gaps for those developers that also wanna build affordable housing. So how do we grow that? So to answer your question in five years, we wanna make sure that we are, um, you know, evenly, distributing resources to individuals and communities that we see that an affordable housing crisis no longer exists. 
because now we have covered the spectrum on where multifamily development is being created or single family homes are being created that maintain a level of affordability and then individuals have the means to be able to get in home ownership um, by utilizing our resources. Yeah, no, that's a that's a tall task, but I, but I imagine just based off the leverage you guys have, the connections you guys have, I mean, I, I think you'll hit it. So I think that's great. I think your story is awesome, Marshall. I think where you've come from and where you're at today, to, to me, and maybe I'm off base here, it, it seems full circle, right? We, I mentioned the product for your environment in the beginning, and it seems like it's a passion of you today of to help those low to moderate income families. Hey, we need affordable housing. I want to help you get out of the environment that you were born in, raised in, et cetera. So I, I think it's a beautiful thing what you're doing. And I, again, I think it's uh, very commendable, the tasks and the goals that you put on you and your team. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, man. And you know what? I, I wouldn't, like, like I said early on, I think God is just answering the prayers of so many mm -hmm. individuals that have allowed me to be able, and I wouldn't be able to do this without the show, standing on the shoulders of a few giants, man. Um, yeah. Those individuals like uh, Don Phoenix, who was a boss of mine, Bill Long, um, uh, David Thibodeau, um, and, and Dr. J. Otis Smith, just to name a few of those giants in the world, man, that put me in a situation to be successful. You know, um, you know, Bill Long told me, he says, what are we repeatedly doing? What are we repeatedly doing? Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And he was like, the more you do it, the more you do it, the more you do it, um, the more excellent you become. And Don used to say the exact same thing. He was like, and he took the gloves off. He was like, man, let me, let me unleash you. And he's like, do it and continue to do it. And he says, you know what? You may fall down a couple of times, but the more you do it, the more you do it, the more excellent you will become. And um, that's all we're just striving for, just striving for excellence in whatever, um, whatever way it looks, not only for me, but hopefully there's other individuals out there that that see this story or hear this story and look at the housing fund story and say, hey, you know what? I also want to make a difference out there yep. as well. I love it. I love it. So, so Marshall, I, as we begin to wrap up, you know, we've talked about a lot here and, you know, you always have that end of podcast cliche question, but for people who are rising up in the Nashville market, whether they're uh, maybe they're an entrepreneur, maybe they are an entrepreneur and they're running their own business, or maybe they're the CEO of a business that's previously been standing. You know, what, what's that piece of advice to keep pushing forward? Because we know, like we keep talking about, it gets hard. It gets tough. There's times where you have to be a leader in times of discomfort. You have to do things that you don't want to do. You have to make decisions that you never made before. So what's that phrase or what's that thought you have when you're faced with that obstacle? How do you keep pushing how do you keep going? Because we, we've talked about you have large goals that will probably be hit. You just have to keep pushing towards them. How do you keep on that path consistently? You know, I was told a long time ago, and I think we all hear the cliche, um, what got you there will not keep you there. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that. So what I'm always trying to do is reinvent myself. I do a lot of reading, man. If you ask my staff, I'm always pulling down information, reading, reading because I know how I was, you know, four years ago um, when I first started. I can't still be that same individual today. 
to help us get to that next level, which you talked about five years. So I got to keep reinventing myself. Just think about it. We went through a tornado. We went through a pandemic. Um, we have gone through so many economic changes, and yet we're still an organization that continues to be successful. Well, if I would have continued to only think about just getting into the organization and keeping the organization stagnant, then we never will be where we are today with so many companies saying, hey, we want to partner with the housing fund. And we know that we can't do it by ourselves. So you, I got to humble myself and say, hey, how do we partner with that organization? How do we partner with this bank? How do we partner? How do we, why not go into this community and be able to serve that community? So I would say, you know, what got you to the CEO role is not what's going to keep you there. Mm -hmm. um, you got to keep reinventing yourself um, on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, finding um, more and more information that allow you to be much better, um, just a little bit better than what you were the day before. And so that's what I'm always looking at. That's what I'm always trying to do is just trying to reinvent myself um, consistently so that I can be a much better leader for my staff, a much better um, you know, um, CEO for the board of directors, yep. and a much better partner out in the community that there are organizations and there are um, you know, companies to say, hey, we want to work with the housing fund. Yeah, no, what's interesting about you just saying that is I'm currently reading a book called Limitless and there's a phrase in here that says, and I have it pulled up in front of me, no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. Right. So basically what you're saying is you have to constantly reinvent yourself. You know, my whole philosophy is nothing changes if nothing changes. If you're doing something that's not working, you got to reinvent yourself. You got to do something different. And like you said, what got you there won't keep you there. So it's all along those same lines. You have to constantly innovating in this world. Uh, it's fast paced. Business is cutthroat. It's fast paced. Nobody cares if you know what you're doing. You just got to do it and you have to do it to the best of your abilities. And something's not working, do something different and reinvent yourself and be the best you can be. But Marshall, this has been a great conversation. Again, I do appreciate you being on here, talking about the housing fund, talking about your story and kind of talking about, you know, just because you grew up in a certain environment isn't going to force you there. You reinvented yourself along that path, which we kind of just touched on. And now you're who you are today. And we definitely appreciate you being on here. This episode is going to be live next Monday. I believe it's uh, close to September. So that's actually crazy how, how fast this year has gone. But subscribe, guys. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any other major podcasting platform. Marshall, I appreciate you coming on, man. No problem. Hey, I appreciate you, gentlemen. Thank you for... Um for inviting me to be a part of this. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Marshall. Thanks, Marshall. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nash Biz Podcast. We post new episodes every single week, and we'd greatly appreciate if you would subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.